Hello, and welcome to another episode of Clark Hill's Credit Ego to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I am a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. My guest on the podcast today is Steve Carlson. Steve is the CEO of Forward Line Financial, a nationwide non-bank lender which provides small businesses with financial alternatives to traditional bank loans. Steve is a longtime industry expert who has been passionate about responsible lending and the financial health of everyday consumers. Steve was one of the first appointees of the CFPB's Consumer Advisory Board, or CAB as we would call it, uh, and that is where I've been fortunate enough to meet him. And Steve, welcome to Credit Eco to Go. Good morning, Joanne. Thank you very much. It's, uh, as always, a pleasure to be here talking with you. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Steve, clearly your footprint is in the lending space and in particular small business lending. Uh, These must be very interesting times for you. Um, Yeah, absolutely, to say the least. I mean, I think that um, is you know, lending has always had its ups and downs like uh, any other industry, uh, and everybody was uh, wondering when the next downturn was going to impact, whether it was consumer or small business lending. Uh, clearly, nobody expected a global pandemic to be um, kind of the trigger uh, of that next downturn. I, I agree. Uh, we, we were a little caught off guard. <laughs> you, you, we always try to be prepared, but I don't know how you can be prepared for this. That is for sure. Um, Steve, tell me a little bit about uh, Forward Line Financial. You've been involved in a lot of uh, lending institutions. Uh, talk to me a little bit about this one. Yeah, so I spent the last 20 years of my career uh, in working in specialty finance, consumer, small business, as well as some technology firms, big companies and small companies. And you know, with Forwardline, I think I found a really unique situation. Uh, we are a private equity-backed, non-banked small business lender, as you shared before. Uh, we're one of the longest-lived players in the market, founded in 2003. Uh, Our mission uh, is going to sound kind of uh, similar to the introduction you gave uh, to me, but it's our mission is is around improving the financial health of America's small businesses. And we do that by providing working capital loans. These are loans that are six to 15 months in duration and range in size from $5,000 to $300,000. Uh, In terms of the types of businesses we serve, we do a broad range of uh, businesses. Uh, We work with construction firms. We work with actually attorney's offices. We work with restaurants. uh, We work with convenience stores. uh, You name it, uh, there's a broad variety of businesses that we work with. Almost about 14 million businesses in America would fit uh, our, uh, you know, the, the, the target for our product. But the key here is we really serve uh, these businesses that are unable to access funding via the traditional banking system. And are you seeing an uptick in demand right now? Yeah, uh, absolutely. A little (laughs) laugh there. Um, You know, it's really interesting. The small business lending market um, has, you know, we're in a, we're in an existential crisis right now. Uh, we entered 2020 
uh, with things looking pretty well. You know, I think the biggest concern most people had in the in Q1 was the election and what the uh, outcomes of that election and the impacts on the economy uh, were going to be. And then quickly uh, things shifted uh, to the COVID crisis. Um, what we've seen uh, since March is uh, in the small business lending space that we operate in, we've seen about a 90%, I'm going to guesstimate, uh, pullback in uh, origination volume uh, across the board. And there's really two key factors uh, that have led to this. Uh, the first is the un inability to underwrite risk in a pandemic. You know, uh, as a uh, digital lender, uh, we use a broad range of data uh, and uh, almost 17 years of history to underwrite uh, or assess and underwrite risk. And uh, unfortunately, all of our models, like everybody else's, are historical looking. Uh, and when you've never had a pandemic to deal with, uh, at least not recently, uh, those models have very low level of performance or very poor performance behind them. So like most lenders in the market, we actually stopped lending at the tail end of March uh, while we could, you know, just get our arms around uh, how to underwrite within the, the pandemic. The second thing that's happened, and this is across the board, is uh, the portfolios, the existing portfolios have degraded uh, in performance pretty significantly. Uh, again, this is with every provider, but imagine that you have money lent out to a restaurant um, you know, somewhere in the United States that is forced to be shut down. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, as much as these uh, customers would like to continue making payments, they haven't been able to. Um, portfolio performance shut down, and because of that, it's led to um, a bit of a liquidity crisis in the market as investors on the debt side have tried to figure out how to work through this uh, solution. I'm sure, I mean, when you talk about the underwriting, it's like, how do you underwrite someone if they don't know they're, if they're going to have a job tomorrow? Absolutely. I mean, how do you underwrite a small business that doesn't know that they're going to be uh, uh, around, um, you know, tomorrow or whatever? And, you know, as I think about this, um, a couple things are going to happen. One is the underwriting piece you can solve. And a lot of that's going to be a heightened use of cash flow data, which in small business lending has always been one of the key inputs, but right. it's going to be even more of an input. Uh, product terms are going to get shorter uh, to reduce risks and pricing is going to get higher uh, in terms of, you know, offsetting some of that risk. Um, the market is beginning to reopen right now, uh, but I think we're going to be severely challenged for the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, I do think uh, that there is going to be a big opportunity for lenders, though, as the need for capital is is you know there more than anything any time before, uh, for a variety of reasons. And competition, as always happens when you go through any type of downturn, competition will be less uh, while we work through this. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, when you and I spoke prior to the podcast, we talked about the PPP and some of the, the, the stimulus uh, that has been out there. And you told me you were, you were actually approved as a PPP lender, but you decided not to pursue that. Why not? We were. Uh, so we went through the process and we did get, uh, I think it's technically licensed uh, as a yeah. PPP lender. Uh, yeah. So for forward line did uh, receive that. 
You know, I would say in regards to PPP program, you can definitely throw stones at the SBA and at the program as a whole, um, just because it's been very far from perfect. Uh, But I also think that there's a need to give the SBA a a significant amount of credit uh, for rolling out this program as fast as they did and just getting capital into a market in such a, you know, know, again, an unprecedented and challenging uh, situation. While Forward Line did receive our license, as we looked at it, you know, we just made a call that was a call for Forward Line specifically was that there were so many unknowns about participating in the program. Uh, It was moving in real time and the types of risk and exposure for us as a business uh, weren't fully clear. So we decided to take the option of partnering with another fintech firm uh, that also had its license and through them uh, offer our customers as well as non-customers PPP funding. Uh, We're very pleased uh, of the results. We were able to uh, help a significant number of small businesses uh, access these funds. And I think, you know, as I look at it, and, you know, yesterday I was looking at a league table of the top lenders uh, for the PPP program in the market. And, you know, a few things struck me, but what really stood out is this is a great example of how a traditional banking system either can't or won't help the small businesses in America that have, you know, one to $2 million revenue or less. And there's a variety of reasons behind that, but this just highlighted it. And as the government thinks about moving forward, any future assistance or stimulus programs that really need to target the, what I would call the true Main Street uh, businesses, I think they're going to have to rely on the non-bank system to be able to deliver a lot of that stimulus money. I think that's correct. And you know, you know that uh, last week or the week before the CFPB rolled out, uh, the final rule for uh, the, the payday small dollar lending industry, and they pulled away the ability to repay. And even prior to that, um, both the, the CFPB and the FFEIC and FSOC have been encouraging banks uh, to look at, this is not necessarily for small businesses, but for consumers, that small dollar lending product. And you think about small businesses, they are the consumers of the corporate world, right? They are the, you know, as you say, the one to $2 million revenue stream. And banks have always been hesitant and probably reason why you guys have been so successful is, you know, banks don't want to lend, believe it or not, $100,000 or even $200,000. They want the really big uh, the cost of keeping the lights on and, and having their branches open and, and employing the people that they employ really requires a, a, a term and, a, and an amount that satisfies their margins. So, you know, it's interesting. This is kind of the flip side of the small dollar loan, but as I said, for small businesses. And I agree with you. I do see there's going to be a need. Clearly, there's going to be a need whenever whenever this is over, and I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and you know, companies like yourself are gonna play a real vital role. What would you say to small businesses who in the next three to six months are gonna be, are gonna consider getting some capital? Uh, they've kind of made it over the hump, but they still wanna to continue to operate. What should they be pulling together now so that they can come to you, as I said, in three to six months and apply for a loan? What are you gonna be looking for? Well, look, um... I think there's going to be, we're just seeing the beginning of 
the challenges for small businesses here in the U.S. Um, anyone who thinks that, you know, we've we've bottomed out in this crisis, I think, is in for some serious reckoning. Right. Um, and that goes on the consumer side and the small business side. When you think of all the debt ferment that's happened out there, when you think of the government stimulus that's happened out there. And, you know, you hit it right up the nail on the head with many of our uh, borrowers, they actually intertwine their personal finances and their business finances. Right. That's how small these businesses are, right? And so I think there's really kind of three things that these businesses really need to be thinking about. You know, one is, uh, or we as a country need to be thinking about, one is, these businesses are right now facing their own liquidity crises, and they still are. Um, you know, many of them have survived to this point off of stimulus and off of their own savings. Uh, we are just now seeing a second wave of businesses that are starting to go under because they've made it this far thinking like, hey, if I could go from March until June, I'm going to be okay. And now it's just so daunting for them to think that this is going to be another 6, 12, 18, 24, whatever months going forward. You have the uncertainty of the COVID crisis right now, the reopenings, which goes hand in hand with that piece, right? So I would say we all need to be thinking about for these businesses, the next six to 12 months is all about survival. The next phase after that, and the other piece around that is these businesses actually really need to start thinking once they get through survival, because you, you know, all you can think about right now right. is that. But after that, you've got to start thinking about your business model and how do you change that? Because societal behaviors are going to change and have changed. And we just don't know how significant that's going to be. And it's going to be different across every single type of business. And it's actually going to be different based on geography. And by geography, I actually mean, in this, like in the city of San Francisco, you know, I was on one street the other night that uh, was a really hot, popular street back in February, and the, almost everything is shut down now. Mm. I was on another street, uh, you know, two nights later, and everything's going pretty well with outside seating and everything else. And it's just, I think depends on who's living in the area and if they've decided to, you know, how they've decided to react to the, to the crisis. Um, so I think that this is a three to five year issue for us. Uh, it's going to, you know, that all of us have to work through. Uh, and I think as small businesses are looking for capital uh, over the shorter period of time, you know, the things that are really going to be, uh, you know, required out of them is steady cash flow. And honestly, the ability to survive without government stimulus. And that sounds fairly impossible. But as I mentioned, you know, our target, you know, the number of SMBs is in the tens of millions or the, the, the single digit 10 million uh, range. And, you know, what I've seen today is roughly 60 to 70,000 small businesses have shut down uh, over this period. And you've got to assume, you know, similar levels are going to continue for the next few months. That still leaves a lot of businesses out there that are figuring out a way to, to work and to make this happen. So, you know, Forward Line and other non-bank investors are out, or, or lenders are out there uh, and open and willing to work with them to try and find some solutions. So helpful, Steve. Thank you. I mean, it clearly, and I think what this pandemic has shown is the level of creativity that's needed <laughs> in an unprecedented time, you know, can't be emphasized enough. You see that in businesses, 
Um, you know, I have a couple of examples of businesses in our neighborhood, some, you know, mostly restaurants, some never were able to make it open. Some have car lines around the corner and they've had to get local police <laughs> to direct traffic. It's all about being creative and, and talk about know your customer, really understand who your customer base is and how to serve them during this time. So it, it's been interesting and uh, thank you for all that you do. And, and certainly a lot of businesses are gonna need you down the road. So thank you so much for the discussion. Really terrific. Yeah, uh, Steve. Absolutely. Yeah. We asked two questions. Uh, we, we don't let our guests get away uh, that easily. So we asked them two more questions before we round out our podcast. So this is a to-go theme podcast. Uh, we try to make it concise and so people can listen to it at any time and take it with them at any time. So I always ask my guests about any, uh, either their favorite or a takeout experience you may have had while you were sheltering in place. And I know California has been hit very hard. So do you have an experience that you can share with us? Yeah, look, I don't know if this is my favorite experience, but I think it hits uh, strongly the point of having to rethink your business model and how quickly people were uh, pushed into this, uh, you know, uh, and frankly, in an unwilling way, uh, given everything that happened. Uh, a good friend of my wife and mine uh, owns a several restaurant, uh, uh, restaurants in the, the Bay Area. And so early on in the pandemic, we wanted to support him. Uh, and so we decided to order from his restaurant. We gave him a call, you know, found him on Yelp, gave him a phone call. It was a great experience. They said, your food is going to be there in a certain period of time. Uh, we actually had, you know, reached out, my wife uh, on the side had reached out to our friend's wife and said, hey, you know, Steve and I are ordering tonight for the family from your restaurant. We're excited about it. You know, this was early days when you were doing that stuff. So there was a little back and forth banter, you know, via text with my wife and uh, his wife. And, you know, we waited the 45 minutes for delivery. We waited another half hour for delivery. You know, my wife's not, frankly, as patient as I am. So she quickly got on the phone and started calling the restaurant. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the restaurant really didn't have any good insights because they were... Very, and this was the first time working with the delivery services. In this case, it was Postmates. Okay. And they had no track of what had happened. They know that the firm had come and picked up the food and taken off. They knew, like we knew, the app said that the food had been delivered. It clearly hadn't been delivered. Either it went to the wrong house or somewhere else. But they just couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, in the meantime, my wife is at this point, you know, texting the owner's wife who's yelling at the owner who's calling the manager of the restaurant. And, you know, there's eight people involved to try and solve this thing and there's no food. And it was just a very poor experience for us, for the restaurant, uh, for everybody uh, involved. Uh, the next night they tried to make up for it by providing us with a free meal. And lo and behold, you know, it was a half hour late, but it was a half hour late because it had been delivered and set on our doorstep, and we just never realized it was there because in the world of COVID, that's what you did. You didn't right. like have this interaction, right? right? And, you know, I share that story with you because they've worked a lot of this out lately, but, you know, here you've got this business that's very successful, that's shifting to a different distribution model that the business and the customer's not used to. And, you know, we're all gonna have to learn through this stuff. And uh, it, again, just hammers home 
like how difficult in many ways it is to work through this. Uh, yet now, two months later, whatever the time being is, uh, things work very smoothly. We've ordered multiple times since. The food is here. We've figured out how to deal with it, and it's actually a very pleasant experience. It is a great story, and it is so uh, typical. Uh, I have heard many of those stories, um, and you're right. It's it, we we all have to change. The businesses have to change. The customers have to change. The expectations have to change. Uh, it is all going to be different. And it, it as much as we would like, when all this is over, I don't know when that'll be. It's not going to be the same. So even when you go back to that restaurant, things will be different. So uh, patience is a virtue, I would say, <laughs> for all of us right now. That's a great story. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, before I let you go, um, at Credit Eco to Go, we would like to make a small donation on your behalf to a local food bank in your area or a charity that helps restaurant workers or just people in your community who are going through a tough time, either through a job loss or, or, or some other unfortunate situation because of the shutdown. And we like to do this on behalf of our guests who are giving up their time to come on here and, and, and talk about these very important topics. Do you have a uh, organization that you can tell us about? Yeah, absolutely. And for one, I really appreciate the opportunity to be part of this. And this is just uh, icing on the cake. Um, there's an organization in San Francisco, the San Francisco Marin Food Bank. Uh, it is a wonderful organization. Uh, my family has been supportive of the food bank um, for a number of years. Um, they've done just a fantastic job dealing with uh, some of the issues that we face uh, in the Bay Area uh, around you know, uh, lack of access to quality food for many folks. And I think just, you know, obviously now the need is much greater than it has ever been. So we're, uh, we're just, we're very thankful that we can help them out, um, you know, through this uh, process. Thank you. Oh, and thank you for identifying it. We will absolutely, uh, we're glad to help them as well. Um, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning into another episode of Credit Eco to Go. For more information about our podcast and future podcasts, please go to my bio page at clarkhill.com or to my LinkedIn page. All episodes of Credit Eco to Go can be found on Buzzsprout and Spotify. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditecotogo at clarkhill.com. Thank you, be well, and stay safe. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.